Welcome to Scaling Up, the podcast for water treaters by water treaters, where we're scaling up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. Hello, Scaling Up Nation. Trace Blackmore here, your host for Scaling Up H2O. And this is another Pinks and Blues episode where I am answering questions based on what the listeners have asked for. And I have themed this episode like I have done some others. I've received a lot of questions based on this particular topic. So we're just going to talk about this topic. Now, all these questions stem around the proper way to calibrate your equipment and specifically either the pH or an ORP probe or conductivity. There's a lot of misinformation out there about the right way to calibrate and when you need to replace your conductivity meter or your probes or whatever that may be. And I think a lot of that has to do with how us, the water treater, truly take care of our equipment. So when we talk about conductivity probes or pH probes or ORP probes, typically we're talking about a handheld meter that we're using out in the field, but it could also be on the controller itself, on the device that's hanging on the wall that's delivering our program day after day. You know, these probes are meant to fail eventually. Now, conductivity probes are a little bit more durable than pH and ORP probes and the PTSA probes that so many people are using now. But you have to understand the way that many of these probes are built, they have a very specific shelf life. And as soon as they are built, they are starting to die. It's just the nature of the beast. So don't think if you've purchased one of these probes, you're done and you never have to purchase it again. Folks, it's just how they are. You will have to replace these probes. Now, how often you do that, I truly believe is based on how well you take care of these probes. So let's get into how to properly calibrate some of these probes. So what I'm doing now, I'm actually looking at my 6P Myronel meter, and you can also substitute this for the controller that you might be having some issues with or another handheld meter that you have in your test kit. It's very important that you know what the battery voltage is. Now, I say that you don't really necessarily have to get a multimeter out and read the voltage, but many of us don't understand what's happening inside that meter. And what happens, for example, the 6P has a nine volt battery in it, but it doesn't use nine volts. It actually stages that down to somewhere around six volts. So that battery is fine until it reaches six volts and then it gives you the low battery alarm. Folks, if you're seeing the low battery alarm, it's very possible that you do not have enough voltage going through that meter to make sure you're getting an adequate response to it. Nine times out of 10, when people have probes that aren't holding consistently, their battery hasn't been replaced like it should. What we do here at Blackmore Enterprises is we replace our batteries on a regular basis, not when the meter says that they're getting that low battery light. 
And that just ensures that we've got a nice fresh battery in there so we have plenty of voltage and we don't have to worry about that issue. So I know many of you out there are thinking, when was the last time I changed the batteries in my meter? If that is you, go ahead and spend the few bucks and change the batteries in your meter. I would also write down when it was that you changed those batteries. And if you have not changed them in a six month period, I would go ahead and change them again. Depending on how much you're using that meter, that might be too little but it's not too much. I would say you want fresh batteries in that meter at least twice a year. So after you've changed the battery, now you have to make sure that the meter is clean. And folks, I gotta tell you that most of the problems outside of not having enough voltage going through a meter is because Many water treaters will take their sample and they won't clean their meter there on site and things dry inside those cups where those probes are and those create havoc with our actual readings. So when you're out there and you're taking your sample and you're taking your reading, make sure that you have a deionizing bottle with you and rinse that meter out really well. We like to rinse everything at least three times and then store it in the proper solution. For example, if it was a pH probe, we would store that in the electrode storage solution, which is not the same as pH 4 buffer because pH 4 buffer has a red dye in it and that will actually migrate into the pH probe and cause problems. So keeping the meter clean on a consistent basis is very important. Make sure that if you put any sample into your meter, you're always washing that out so there's nothing to dry and crystallize in any part of your meter cups. Now on a regular basis, you wanna make sure and you're cleaning your meter, physically cleaning your meter with I like to use Simple Green. That's one of my favorite detergents. Uh, it's actually made here in Lawrenceville, Georgia, where our office is, so please patronize a local company. I'm sure if you go to Home Depot or anywhere where you buy your cleaning supplies, you will find Simple Green. It's a good degreaser. It's not gonna do a lot for minerals, so hopefully nothing's dried out on you. If something like that has crystallized acids, such as your alkalinity buffer, that that might help solubilize anything like that that's on there. But normally you can get away with the simple green if you are rinsing your meter, like I said, on a regular basis. And what I like to do with the simple green is go ahead and squirt some down in there. And then I use a Q-tip or a clean paper towel and I gently remove anything that's on that pH probe. Now in the conductivity probe, you'll notice that there's a little spoke that comes out halfway into it. That's how it gets its charge from the anode to the cathode. We actually have a nice small little brush that allows us to clean the bottom and all around that without bending it. Be careful, you do not wanna bend that little spoke that comes out of that probe cup. So if you have a controller at a customer account and you need to clean that conductivity probe, my favorite way of doing that is to isolate the flow on either side, take the probe out, 
And then if you have some shop air and you can dry the probe, you will be amazed at what you see on that probe. When it's wet, it looks clean, but I assure you when you dry that out, it is not clean at all. And you might then see, oh, that's why I'm not getting a good reading. So if you want to use shop air, by all means do that. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to keep a Scotch-Brite pad in your test kit or in your bag, wherever you will want to store it, where you're not going to use it for anything else. The issue when a lot of us clean these probes is we use a shop rag that we've used for the past 12 years that has everything accumulated on it within that 12 years. Folks, don't do that. You're putting oils and all sorts of stuff that you've cleaned up in other areas on your probe. Make sure you have a designated Scotch-Brite pad for this purpose. Now, on conductivity probes, the toroidal probes are a little difficult to clean. I have found a toothbrush works pretty well to get in there for those, but the standard conductivity probes will either have two raised probes or they'll be flush with the surface. You can use the Scotch-Brite on either one of these, and with the raised probe, what you're going to do is put a drop of alkalinity titrant on both of the electrodes, and then you're going to use your Scotch-Brite pad and you're going to clean on the top and all around the sides of each of those. You want to make sure you're using a different spot on each one of the electrodes because they're charged differently and they could attract each other. Once you're done doing that, go ahead and use your deionizing bottle and rinse it off really well and then put a couple of extra drops on both of the probes so that way if you got anything on there during the cleaning process, that will get that off. And again, that's the alkalinity titrant. Now, if the probes are flush to the surface, when you're swiping back and forth, you don't want to put one probe onto the other because again, the opposites attract. So what you want to do, you want to do an up and down fashion where you're not over crossing each of the probes. I hope that makes sense. I'm trying to make visual motions, but that's really hard to come through on the podcast. Again, once you're done with that, go ahead and follow that up with your DI water and then put a little bit more acid on each one of the probes and then rinse that off with DI water. That then leaves you with a very clean probe. Now, if you calibrate a probe and you did not clean it, folks, you did not calibrate that probe. And when I talk to water treaters out in the field, they hardly ever do that. So please include this step with what it is that you are doing. Now let's talk about the different juice that you can use in calibration. Well, depending on the meter, it's gonna ask you if you want a two-point or a three-point calibration. Some will, some won't. A two-point calibration can be defined as this. The low point is absolutely no conductivity at all. So basically that probe is being held in your hand and it's dry and it's just out there in the air. 
the high conductivity is whatever fluid that you're putting it in. And I urge you to use standard with this because that way you know for sure. And folks, don't think you can keep reusing standard. Standard is a one-time use only because whenever you put something in there, you are changing the value of that standard. Standard is not that expensive. You are not gonna bankrupt anybody by using fresh standard each and every time. When it comes to standard, we have different types depending on what we're testing. So we have pH standards, we have conductivity standards, we have ORP standards, we have PTSA standards. Depending on what the normal range is that you're testing, that's what you want to buy that standard in. Now here's a little aside from that. When it comes to conductivity standard, my favorite is the 1413 micromole standard. I will tell you when I've had customers calibrate equipment and I've given them 1000 conductivity standard, anything between 800 and 1200 is within range of that 1000 according to them. However, when you give somebody a 1413 standard, you better believe that they are gonna get that on the money with 1413 conductivity. Now you might be wondering, 1413, that's so random, why is there a 1413 standard? It's actually a, probably the easiest standard to make. What that is, that's a molar solution of potassium chloride into one liter of water. And attention folks, I'm getting ready to do some chemistry, but if you look at the molecular weight of potassium chloride, chloride is 35.5 and potassium is 39.1. If you add those together, that's 74.6. So if you put 0.746 grams of potassium chloride into one liter of water, and this is deionized water, of course, your conductivity is going to be 1413. I don't know if you've ever wondered where that came from, but I know when I understand where things get derived from, I understand them a lot better. So there you go. That's some free information from me to you. And then of course, with pH standards, folks, there are pH standards for just about every pH you want out there, but the most common ones are pH seven, pH four, and pH 10. But again, before you use any of these, you wanna make sure that your batteries are good, your power source is good, and that everything is clean. If you did not do that, don't worry about calibrating, worry about changing your batteries and cleaning the meter because there's a film that will occur and you're not getting a true reading like you think, you're getting the reading of whatever standard you have going through that film. Well, I mentioned the two-point calibration. The three-point calibration goes through exactly those three standards. And typically you'll see that in pH. Now to get back to our two-point calibration, typically what we'll do is we'll calibrate it in the air and then we'll put it in that standard. My preference is that 1413 standard. And some meters, they don't have a low and high. They just have calibrate me to what I'm supposed to be. And then you would do that. A little tip is instead of immediately hitting the calibration button, once you zero that in on whatever that standard number is, let it sit there for a couple of seconds and just make sure that it is reading what you think 
crank, and then when it's holding steady, then go ahead and press that calibration button. On pH, a lot of times we'll have a two-point or a three-point calibration, and what that is, is typically we're using seven standard and then a four or a 10 standard. That's with the two-point. With the three-point, we're using all Again, after you have a nice clean probe, your battery is changed out, you're gonna go ahead and most meters start with seven. Again, you don't wanna keep reusing standard. This is brand new standard every time you use it. And you're gonna put that seven in there and you're gonna calibrate the meter to seven. Then a lot of meters will tell you to put four in or they'll tell you to put 10 in or some will just know if you're putting four or 10 in. So I like to test the last solution on what I am normally going to test. So in cooling tower water, it's normally in the eights. So I'll normally end with 10. I don't know if that's right or wrong. That's just how I do it. So I'll put the seven in. I'll make sure that that's holding for a couple of seconds. I'll then hit calibrate. I will then hit the four standard, pour that in there. And by the way, you want to make sure that you rinse the old standard out well. If I just pour the seven out and then I fill my cup up with four, I do not have four in that cup. I have four with seven residual left over. So I actually triple rinse my cup with that four standard. Then on the fourth fill, I know I'm getting a good four pH reading. I let that stabilize. I then hit the button and then I do the same thing, triple rinsing with the 10. And then on the fourth fill, I will then get my pH reading for 10 and I'll calibrate it. And the meter should have a nice stable calibration at that point. Now let's talk about what happens when you calibrate a meter or a controller. And by the way, you're gonna do the exact same thing with a controller that I just mentioned for the handheld meter. When you calibrate a probe and say, no probe, the answer that you're giving me is not correct. It really should be this. You are adding some sort of number to the algorithm that that probe is reading. Every time you calibrate, you're adding a new number to that. So on top of, on top of, on top of. Folks, if you have not reset that value, and a lot of times you have to do that by factory reinitializing the controller or the meter, you might not be getting an accurate reading because there's so many values that are in there that you previously calibrated on, you're not getting the reading that you think and your meter is just off because there's so many equations in there. Now, something that's very important that if you ever change your probe out, whether it's a controller, whether it's a handheld meter, you have to set that back to zero because those old numbers were based on your old probe. And again, even if it's the same probe and you haven't done that in a while, it's not a bad idea to go ahead and start from scratch because now you know that that calibration is based on the base reading of that probe. If you have a controller and you have to factory reinitialize that, and I have seen more and more controllers that will allow you to reset just the calibration on a particular probe, but there are still some controllers out there that won't allow you to do that. So what you have to do is go in and factory reset that. A lot of the controllers will have a USB drive port on there. 
where you can go ahead and capture your program. So that way you don't have to reprogram everything. If you don't have that, we'll go ahead before you factory reinitialize it, take a legal pad or whatever you're using to take notes and make notes of what all of your items are in the entire controller programming so you can program that back in. I know that's a lot of work, but you really don't know what that probe is reading until you do that. Folks, it's really important whenever you're handling the probe, these things are made out of glass or a very thin piece of metal. You have to make sure that you don't damage those in cleaning. I've seen many people shove a paper towel down a reservoir or a cup where the probe is and they've bent things and then things never work right. So please be careful when you're doing this process. And like I said before, if you keep your equipment clean, you will get so much better results from that equipment. And folks, I gotta let you know, I've said this on other shows, but you are only as good as the equipment that you are using, and your equipment is only as good as the person that is using that piece of equipment. So if you have not gotten out the OEM, the original equipment manual for your particular piece of equipment, please go online and download that and see what they say about calibrating. See what they say about troubleshooting and that's gonna get you more in the know about what's going on each and every time you calibrate your equipment. Another question I get on a fairly common basis is can you bring a failing probe back to life? And a lot of people say you can rehydrate those. So a lot of the probes, they'll have that potassium chloride in it that we talked about. So if you have a super saturated solution of potassium chloride and you put that probe in there, well, that glass is a semi-permeable membrane and that's actually how that works. So since you have a higher concentration on the outside of potassium chloride, sometimes it will migrate through to where there's a lower concentration and you might be able to get a little bit more life out of that probe but folks, I'm here to tell you, I've never had that work more than a couple of weeks. I got really excited. Hey, I saved a hundred and something bucks for this new probe. I was able to rehydrate it back in my lab. But when I went back out there in the field, it just did not hold calibration. So when you buy any type of probe, make sure you budget for replacing that in about a year's plus time. Because again, as I said at the top of the show, when these things are made, they already start dying. So I hope this gets some of the questions answered that I've received about calibration, about pH probes and conductivity probes. We didn't talk a lot about PTSA probes or ORP probes, but just know that they have standards for that. The exact same thing that I was saying earlier applies for those. Make sure that they are clean. Make sure your power source is good. You might have to reset any former calibrations that you have done then you're gonna put those into a standard and folks, they make all sorts of different types of standards. PTSA is one that we make here in the lab. We just take the PTSA that we're blending our products with and then we calibrate to 100 parts per billion and we go ahead and make sure that that lens is nice and clean the same way I told you that we cleaned the pH probes is the same way that we clean that little lens that sends the ultraviolet light through and the other side that reads it. And we've had really good success 
because I think we keep the battery nice and fresh and we rinse with deionized water after every single test. And then of course we clean it on a regular basis. Folks, that's something that you might wanna consider is to keep a log on how often you clean it. So every single week, what my team does is they calibrate their meters and they log those and they make sure that they log that we are cleaning it. And that's not because I don't trust that they're not doing that, but it's just a thing that allows us to keep doing it on a consistent basis. And then we can see if a probe is actually getting out of calibration. So it's not quite time to change it, but we can see we need to get another probe in here because this one's going to need to be changed soon. And folks, that being said, you don't want to stock pH probes or ORP probes, things that have that glass cell, because again, they're going to die on the shelf. So you wanna order those when you need those. And then of course you might not have time to go and order those. So maybe you wanna keep one on the shelf, but I don't like to do that. I like to order them as fresh as possible because they have a very limited shelf life. So folks, something you might wanna consider is that log that just makes sure that you're doing something on a regular basis. And you can do that with all of your tests. Something that I really like to do here at Blackmore Enterprises is I will make a known concentration of something up in my lab and then I'll have everybody out on our team come in and they will run those tests. Mathematically, I know what they should get, but now we're gonna see what they get in their test kit. And if it's off, normally it's not a procedural issue, but sometimes it is, and then we can educate based on that. But normally it's because maybe one of the dropper tips is clogged up. Maybe there is a malfunction with their digital titrator. Because we have a procedure like that, we are able to isolate issues before they become an issue. So again, are you treating your equipment the way that you should be treating it? Because us water treatment folk are only as good as the equipment that allows us to get a small glimpse inside the water. And if we are not treating that equipment properly, it's not gonna give us good results, meaning that we are not going to do what we should do in adjusting that program. Folks, this entire episode came from questions from the Scaling Up Nation around calibration of pH, ORP, and conductivity. So I hope this was helpful. I hope you are now thinking, when was the last time I changed the batteries? You know, I really do need to clean my meter on a more regular basis. And maybe I do need to refer to the owner's manual to make sure that I'm doing all of that properly. Folks, you can find all of that online about your meter. And I want to urge you to keep those questions coming it's because of those questions that I was able to do this show. So thank you for everybody out there in the Scaling Up Nation that wrote in and asked me about that. And I hope that this episode has helped make your tests a little bit more accurate. Have a great week, folks.